When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Holy Bible. And then just a big old Barnes and Noble <laughs> sticker on it. New York Times oh. bestseller. Or, or oh. you know when you see movie posters on a cover? Oh, yeah. You walk in into the Bible, you see like, so, Jesus from a movie right on there. And on the back, it's like, God recommends. <laughs> so so that's... The Bible's so good. Why isn't there a Bible too? <laughs> well, there is. Old and New Testament. That is true. Oh, see. Why isn't there a Bible 3? Well, there is. The Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to read a biography of Ugh. reality. I, I, I already don't like reality. Why would I spend my free time learning more about reality? Ugh. Gross. Get away from me. It, no you know more. What? Fiction's honestly more real than not. Honestly, it like, gets into the psyche of the soul and whether the future of our society is actually going in a positive or negative direction. You're right. I feel like right here. Like, honestly, it's like right here. Then it goes it's right, right here. Everybody and welcome back to another two to ramble episode. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and I'm the other one, Richard. And guess what, Richard? We're talking about a list today, not just a list, the list, the you, inferior list to two to rambles list to two to rambles. I love that you said that. I would have said the same thing. But you yeah. see all these books behind us. How many of them have number one New York Times best-selling author? Da 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 da. Whatever the author is, or whoever number the one is. less, but just New York Times best-selling author. That as well probably 95% of them. And as a reader, we've been readers before we had a pod. We read a couple books here and there. We'd always see this New York Times bestseller thing, right? And you go, oh, neat. Or maybe you go, uh, don't pay attention to it. Whatever it is, there's this question. Sanderson posted a video, of course. Every video of ours comes from a Sanderson comment or something. He posted a video just talking about what the New York Times bestseller list is. And he did that in two minutes. We're going to do that in about an hour. <laughs> so Good. we're going to go over <laughs> what, how does the list work? How do you make the list? And why is it so controversial? And why do so many people cheat the system? And you love good cheating the system, don't you? I do like it when you stick it to authority. It's <sighs> good. Yeah, it's always a good feeling. <laughs> so first off, this, this whole thing, because as a reader yourself, weren't you curious of just like, ah, the New York Times bestseller list, you see it all the time. It's one of those things that just piques your curiosity and you go, huh? Well, it always was confusing of just how exactly does it work? How, how do certain books, like why is the Bible not just always there? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, one thing about the, the list, this list is curated by selecting d- specific independent bookstores. So the New York Times is a trade secret. We don't know which bookstores that they're selecting, but they go around, they pick these bookstores, and they compile the selling data from there to tell them, okay, this one's selling more than this one, and you put it higher on the list. They specifically don't include books like the Bible or Dante's Inferno or classics like that. Otherwise, the list would just be the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) Or Harry Potter. Just down the list. Imagine seeing the Bible and Torah, and just one of them's number one, New York Times bestseller, one is number two. Ooh. <laughs> Different <laughs> religions are going, I got you. <laughs> oh, uh, a Bible with New York Times bestseller, that would be corporatism. Just That would extreme. be disgusting to look at. Oh. Like, imagine walking into your bookstore, <laughs> and you just see, like, 
holy the holy bible and then just a big old barnes and noble <laughs> sticker on it new york times oh. bestseller or or oh. you know when you see movie posters on a cover oh yeah you walk into the bible you see like so, Jesus from a movie right on there. And on the back, it's like, God recommends. <laughs> so that's hey, the Bible's so good. Why isn't there a Bible too? <laughs> well, there is Old and New Testament. That is true. Oh, see. Why isn't there a Bible three? Well, there is the Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they don't call the wait, Bible. I'm waiting for Bible part four. That's what I'm waiting that's, for. That's Revelation. That's a, <laughs> oh, you don't want that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's going to be written in some dark times. <laughs> So Jesus himself is going to come back and have to handwrite that one. And I don't want to, I don't want to see what he has to write that on. Oh boy. I don't think pencils are going to be readily available to him. That, what if revelations is when you see a New York times bestseller on the Bible, that's when, that's when he returns. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Doomsday. So we, the, the thing about the New York times bestseller list is we know things like this, that they don't include Dante's Inferno classics or, the Iliad or stuff like that that will always sell. Mm-hmm. What the New York Times bestseller does is they pick these independent bookstores and they curate the list in a way that the public doesn't know so that they can prevent cheating the system. But to be honest, they don't really pre- prevent it that much. We'll get into all the criticisms and why it is easy to cheat the system. But do you know anything else about how they curate the list? As far as I know, there's a mix of what they have told the public and then their secret sauce. Mm-hmm. So what they have told the public is something along the lines of within a one week period, um, as long if a book has sold something between roughly five to ten thousand copies minimum, that that can get you onto the list. So, so if you sold somewhere between five to ten thousand in a one week period from their hand curated uh, independent bookstores, then you could get on the list. Then plus whatever their secret sauce is of their editorial board. Hey, we don't want this on the list. Hey, we have new numbers that we run something else. So however else they do it, but that's kind of what we publicly know. Yeah, and again, this is sim- not exactly the same, but similar to Writer Strike and where Netflix and other streaming services, they don't reveal their numbers for different reasons than the New York Times not doing this. It really is one of those things, the numbers we don't exactly know. Yeah. All we know is that they have a trade secret and all we can gather from it are the results and how you get onto there, which is the more interesting part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. How they do it, they do their thing. They have, you have New York Times, you have USA Today, they all have their lists. Before before we go into how you make the list and what the result of making the list is, you got to be honest. As much as you don't, do you go and buy a book because it's New York Times bestselling right there? Not once. Never. Never. Never once. I why I do you why do you pick up a book? Uh, because either a friend recommended it to me or a YouTuber that I respect and value their opinion of said it was a good book. And I'll pick it up. Or the more likely reason. The cover looked cool when I walked in the store, and so I bought it. Or a patron selects it for the book club of the month. That's also true. (laughs) Which segues right into our sponsor, us. Us. Join our book club. It's money that you you give to us, and then you join our exclusive Discord where you read a book with us and also community members. It's great fun. It gives us money. It gives you community. And not just that, you get to vote and force us to read a book with you and talk about it with you. Yeah, there you go. You just have to have very convincing uh, pitches. If you're the extrovert that knows how to give a good rousing speech, go ahead. Like and Daryl of Lycos, it, yeah. Eh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Join and convince everyone onto your side and get us to read your book of choice. Anyway, uh, what's this month's book? Oh, this month's book is How to Lose a Time War. How You Lose how a Time War. Yep. Yep. And we're having Empire of Silence this weekend, so that's, that's going to be cool. Yep. So, segueing back now, what were we talking about? We were talking about, oh, yes, the list and how you make the list and everything, right? So, the, going back to what inspired this video real quick with Sanderson is when he was talking about how making the list and where his books place and does it matter for him, is he was talking about how Harry Potter sold over and over and over again so many copies for so many weeks that it was just Harry Potter number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and so on. And so the New York Times, what they did with their list is now you see 
different categories of hardcover or ebook plus this or biography or and for the list by the way if it was just one curated list you know what would be number one two three four five six all autobiographies all <laughs> all nonfiction. we are in the minority yeah. rich to say fantasy sci-fi dystopian specific god we have we picked the worst niche ever <laughs> we got no there's not a big there's hey, not a big audience for neuromancer that, that is a joke though we are this is the best niche let's be honest it's, it's the most fun niche it's it's cool hey look when life gets you down and you don't want to be in reality you drink lemonade you drink lemonade when you don't like the world going on you read fantasy to get absorbed into something else i'm not gonna read a biography of reality i I already don't like reality why would i spend my free time learning more about reality Ugh, gross get away from me no more fiction's honestly more real than not honestly it gets into the psyche of the soul and whether the future of our society is actually going in a positive or negative direction you're right i feel like right here like honestly it's like right here then it's right, right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need we need a real job. <laughs> we need to touch grass. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's the other thing I wanted to go back to was when you go to a shelf and pick up New York Times bestseller. It's not that you exactly look for that. And I want to use this analogy because this is a fun analogy and I like this. Mm-hmm. When I'm going to eat at a certain restaurant, I look for certain things. Now, of course, if a friend recommends you the restaurant, you're going to go to that restaurant more likely. But what's a good sign of a good restaurant is, I look for a few things. One, are people in that restaurant? Is it packed to the brim? Is there a line? Ooh, they got good food. And two, is there uh, the, the open kitchen? Because if there's an open kitchen, I'm going, they're not trying to hide something from me. They're, mm. they're there, they're being honest, they're being transparent, and I'll, I want to eat there. So what the New York Times bestseller list does is maybe it's not the... You don't pick, they, don't, they don't have the open kitchen. No, no, no. But they do have the packed restaurant. Mm. See what I'm saying? So if they have a packed restaurant and you go, other people are reading that, maybe it's not me going, oh, I'm reading that because it's a New York Times bestseller, but someone recommended it and it being a New York Times bestseller, just like, hey, someone recommended this restaurant, plus it's packed. Oh, they probably recommended a good one. A probably better analogy is just the Oscars, where how many well, people... For, before you do this analogy, can you just say it's also another analogy that's equitable to my analogy? No, it's better. It, Go ahead. Yours is inferior, right. worse than. Below. Below. Yes. <laughs> the, the hierarchy is right. well established. Insert another German 1940s <laughs> reference. <laughs> just. But the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but most people don't watch a movie specifically. Oh, it won an Oscar. I'm yeah. going to watch it. Some, sure, not many. The Oscars mean a hell of a lot more to the artists behind the work than it does to general audience members. We don't care nearly as much as that director oh, or no, that, right. that actor. I think it's the exact same time with the New York Times bestseller list where readers, some may care that it's on the list. Some may look at the newspaper and read it and go, oh, maybe I'll check it out. I think it... But for the most part, I think mostly New York Times, the, the authors care far more about this list than the readers. If you made a New York Times bestseller list. I would care a lot if I wrote, because it's an acknowledgement of success. It's not going to give me success. Yeah. It's an acknowledgement that I've made it already. Right. Just like the Oscars of, you get the Oscar means it's the finish line. I've made it. It's already been a successful movie. Exactly. The, the cake's already made. You just need icing. That's it. Yep. And it's just a little acknowledgement to that, the, all the work you already did. And why? He, here's why the publishers really push to get this book onto the list. Because even if you don't look for New York Times bestseller, because obviously we go by word of mouth, we go by all this, the, the quick numbers on this. I have a study. I'm sorry to bring this up. I you know study? I know, I know you don't like your studies, Ugh. okay? Gross. Okay. Why don't you just give me your feelings and your just gut opinion? How about even better? I give you the study. You give me your feelings based on the study. Oh, wonderful. That's even better. <laughs> this was done in the early 2000s. But the sales after being on a New York Times bestseller list for a new author specifically increased sales by 57%. So it mattered a whole lot more if you were a first-time author to be on the list. But for people who have already been on the list, it increased sales by 13 to 14%. Now, caveat that with being, hey, is that 
correlation equal causation because there's also the point of maybe word of mouth was just spreading more. It's not exactly because it was on the list that it sold more, but at the very least, there was a drastic increase for first-time authors rather than authors who have been there already. What are your feelings about that? Well, I have a few questions about that study specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it they took a look at the numbers before they got onto the bestseller list and then after that after they were put onto the list, they sold at a higher percentage, not just more, but at a higher rate. Mm. Yeah. Or a, was it just a, they did well? Like it, it, it's a yeah. new author and they got onto the best bestseller list and was like, oh, wow, that's a surprising amount. It says appearing on the list increased a book's first year sales by 13 to 14% versus for new time authors increased first year sales by 57%. So it was in that first year. I'm just wondering what exactly their control study is. Like, are they taking a look at books that didn't make the list and then just looked at their annual sales and go, because, yeah. yeah, it didn't make the list, meaning it didn't sell a bunch of copies in one whatever week period. Mm -hmm. So it's going to have lower sales overall. Like, do you know what I mean? I get what like, you mean, but it, I wanted I wanted Richard feelings. I wanted I wanted your feelings, not oh feelings. Come on, can you stop? Forget the study. Hogwash. Okay, poppycock. Good. <laughs> just gobbledygook. Yeah, don't don't try to analyze it. What are you doing? <laughs> what, what do you think this podcast is? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> also, point point to note is yeah. that's two thousand. Yeah, yeah so, times so. have changed mm -hmm. since then. The internet has become far more influential, I would say, than newspaper. In all honesty, YouTube. Um, bunch of different blogs yep oprah's list way more influential than i think the new york times so yeah all this positive. i'm with you on i don't consciously go to buy something that just has that on there just like i don't consciously go watch a movie that says oh this won an oscar i'll watch this movie now it's an acknowledgement it's definitely an increased factor it's like that restaurant being packed of the oh okay gives you the extra nod but here's but what, the thing mm -hmm. think of all these all these types of mm -hmm. uh awards acknowledgements mm -hmm. where a michelin star a, a award mm -hmm. or stamp of approval whatever yeah that will get me to go to a restaurant if i see uh, a no, michelin star, i'm like 100 i will no, go i'm not as expensive as hell <laughs> <laughs> i see michelin star i'm running <laughs> I'm going, get me mcdonald's six pieces <laughs> you can have your michelin star but <laughs> I just say, I see it and I want to go. As far as quality, I know, yeah. I just know the quality is going to be good. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Michelin star is not a numbers-based thing. It is just pure, like, editorial life. It's, they, it's an award. It's an award, but yeah, it's, yeah. there's no democracy to it. It's pure, it's pure control. And that's what's so wonderful about it. it they yeah. have a exclusive board and they go through the number they they go through the quality and they judge it and it's the experts i'm just saying trying to leave these decisions to democracy it's, it's a little cringe you got your line in i got my you line got i can easily get it merch in. coming soon <laughs> uh and so yes your point of the oscars these it's an award versus what this list is it's not supposed to be a and editorialized, you get to pick which one's your favorite. It's not a group of the New York Times. No, that's, that's, where the criticism. that's where we'll get into the criticism and the controversy of it. But before we do that, the last thing is how do you make the list? What do like, you have on it? What I have is you, that number you said earlier of five to 10,000 ish. If you sell five to 10,000 books in a week, you are likely to make the list. So there's some people that sold that much and didn't. It depends when you sell your book, what locations, because again, it's taking independent bookstores from across the country and you don't know which exact ones that it's actually taking it from. But here's an interesting one I have of fewer than 500 books. Now, there's 100,000 new hardcover, hardcover specifically. So take this, take this stat. There's 100,000 new hardcover print books published each year, and this was taken from 2008 to 2016. So good. How many years is that? Eight years. That was, that was quick maths. Quick maths. There. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> fewer, than, fewer than 500 of those 100,000 make the New York Times bestseller list, and that's 0.5%. So if you today, Rich, published a hardcover book and you had it out there, there was a 1 in 200 chance it could be on the list. And then many novels, 26% of those only appear on the list for one week. So about a quarter of them are there for one week. 
And then it comes into this. This is where the numbers come in there of that, hey, you could sell 1,000 to 10,000 copies per week, but it fluctuates especially on the genre. So fiction might be a bit lower, whereas nonfiction, your biographies that we were talking about, might be a lot higher because name any celebrity that publishes a book and you automatically have the name recognition and it's put in the front everywhere and it's in front of all Barnes and Nobles and you'll sell a ton more. So that, that's the numbers I found. And I thought it was interesting that you know how there's that funneling of for new authors or for people who haven't finished their book yet. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to myself, okay? Yeah. That haven't finished your book yet. I will, I will say, I just... I want to dip while we're on camera. I just want to get a little dig at you, but you agreed to have your first draft finished yep. by January first. That it would be on my desk, ready to ready to start sending out. Is that uh, was your draft one on my desk, Richard? The funny thing about that is that was your deal to me. <laughs> you said you said Austin, you have three months, and I said Rich, no, I said you had one year. No, this was like three months ago. <laughs> no, I said this a year ago. No. Yeah. No. It what? Uh huh. Roll the clip. Roll the clip, Austin. <laughs> I'll roll the clip of that video three months ago. If it was, oh my, oh god. <laughs> but anyway. it, it will be done. It will be done. All right. You're getting penalized for every day. It's not on my desk. You'll read one less page. <laughs> yeah. Every day that it's late. I love it. <laughs> so. Wait, what was that thought off of? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, for, for authors out there, the funneling system, the funneling mm -hmm. system of there's so few people that actually finish their books. Don't look at me. Don't look at me like that. So there's so few people that actually finish their books. Once you get it finished, there's a percentage of those that actually get published. And the percentage of those that actually get published, so many have a hardcover. And the percentage of those that get hardcover have a 0.5% chance of making it on the list. So it's, it's a funnel. It is difficult. It's not an easy list to make. Which is why when we're getting into the criticisms now of the list, and that I want to start off with this hmm. and why this list can be controversial. There's a specific company that is made and advertises this, that they exist for the sole purpose of getting your book onto the New York Times bestseller list. It's a company oh. that says, you pay us, we will get you on the list. We will get that stamp on there. And publishers will go to them because of the way they're able to scheme the system. There was actually a book published, I forget the author's name, but there was a book published on how to cheat the New York Times bestseller list. Did you see that? I did see that, yeah. yeah so what do you think <laughs> about that? There being a literal company that's there that you could pay them to give you a guarantee that you'll have a New York Times bestseller. It defeats the purpose because if you hire that company, I mean, it kind of... It's the same way of if you get a degree, but you cheated your way to it. It's like, well, now you have a useless degree. Good for you. It doesn't really mean much. The backlash, the potential backlash for that when they find out that you paid the company to do that, I think is worth way more than the re potential reward of getting on that list. That's you, my thought. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I don't know who does this. I know politicians do this a ton. But a lot of authors, one way they'll try to cheat the system, I think you found this in your research, too, I'm sure, mm -hmm. where what the New York Times bestseller list does, if you bulk order copies and you bulk order a ton quickly, 10,000 copies at these bookstores specifically and try to get this really pushed out there just so you get on the list for a week and then can forever say you were a New York Times bestselling author. So what that company does and what a bunch of authors try to do to cheat the system or to get on a list is they'll buy a bunch of copies at once or bulk order them to libraries, to this, that, wherever, and then get themselves on the list. Now, the New York Times response to that, you know the response? Yeah, the response is a classification of what technically is a bulk order. I believe the bulk order number is 30. 30 books at one, in one particular time at one bookstore. What, with basically one person buying it. Mm. So... What the counter to that is, you see uh, these publishers and these companies buying 25, 29 books and just going under the bulk order. Just number. trying it, yeah. Try, but then, of course, you know, New York Times can kind of see that. It's pretty obvious. Right. So that's why it's not a hard number. It's a fluctuating editorialized list. So they can take a look at that. So New York Times already has a f fix to it for some books where... If they see some a pattern like that where, hey, 
a good chunk of their orders for this week came from bulk orders or sub bulk orders. Then they can put this little dagger next to the uh, title of the book on their New York Times bestseller list. And that is kind of the indicator of something's fishy. It's on the list. It made the sales, but something's off. Something's Rich, that's off exactly, you did your research. That's exactly right. I know. I actually wow. read and looked into it. That's good. That's I know. Good. Wow. I get to be the, you know, researched one. <laughs> what has gotten into you? Talking about studies, research. <laughs> Who are you? I know. I'm not giving my feelings. That's terrible. Well, what do you think about the criticism that because these bulk orders can happen, the New York Times bestseller, being a list and being a weekly list, there's the argument people will say of why the list is not as useful is you can get fast sales. For example, a book that sells 100,000 books but consistently throughout the year could not appear on the list, whereas a book that sells 10,000 in one week, but then let's say hundreds for the rest of the year, and it ends up only selling 20,000 copies by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So over that year span, the consistent book did a hell of a lot better, but... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A week-to-week book that really sold well that one week and then fell off because nobody liked it gets to say New York Times bestseller list. And now that's just a flaw of it being a weekly list itself. Do you think they yeah. should have a yearly list, a monthly? Uh, there's, what's the way of solving that, and is that a problem? So it's twofold. One, it's not the fault of the New York Times for making a specific list of it basically tracking the sales numbers of by a week-to-week basis. And that's what it's for. Hey, look, these are the top books that sold this week. Good. Cool. Done. Turn around. What publishers and authors and other people do in reaction to that list is once you get on that list one week, they pop it on the book. And for years to come, that's the thing that's posted on their book and in advertisements. New York Times bestseller. Just it, it's stamped on there forever, even though it hasn't been on the list for weeks. And so the weekly list is treated like an annual or, you know, decade, a decade award. It's treated like an award, like the Oscars. The Oscar is lifetime, but imagine having a weekly Oscar. Yeah. So is it the New York Times fault or is it just how people tend to use it and specifically publishers and advertisers? Hmm. I think it's more on them. They're not using the list as they intend it to be used. But then you turn around, if New York Times wants to fix that, make a new award that's kind of like the annual award where it's editorialized, It's that it specifically is, hey, this year it sold this amount. And this is our top list for the year 2023. Right. That would probably solve that issue, and that way publishers can't just put that award on every book. And so if you... It would take time because it's not an instant thing. You know, New York Times would have to build. Not everyone knows what the New York Times bestseller list is. Not everyone knows their brand new thing. So they would take years for them to build up the reputation again of that new award. But it would probably solve some things where if I see a book have this, hey, this is the yearly award. Only only awarded once every year. That's a bigums. It makes more sense. There would be less of those. There'd be less of those stamps on the books in the store. And therefore making it more valuable. Right. Like your Michelin star. Exactly. There's less Michelin star restaurants. It's a really exclusive list, meaning it's more valuable. Right now, everyone's a New York Times bestseller in Barnes & Noble. And so, not as valuable. 
And does it, maybe this is an analogy because we've been talking about movies in general. A blockbuster, not even your huge blockbuster, so don't think of a Marvel that got $2 billion. I'm saying even a smaller blockbuster, like small superhero movie, Black Adam. Mm -hmm. I bet you, I don't know the exact numbers, but take Black Adam or a similar blockbuster just movie of that sort, I guarantee you that probably sold more in a short period of time than Schindler's List did. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? So Black Adam probably sold a lot more. It's for a larger audience. It also, I still... I think it still lost money. Oh, yeah, it did lose money. But that's because Which we felt vindicated because we I had a, so we had a review that. on this podcast and we hated the movie. <laughs> so Oh, so many people disagreed with us disagreed with us at the time calling us, you know, Marvel fan, Marvel stands and it's like, "No, we just we don't like any of them." <laughs> Well, the, some of the recent with Black Adam and at the time recent, yeah. Also, the, the DC superhero yeah, movies. Anyways, there's been we haven't seen a movie in a superhero movie in a while. I think that was one of our latest. Anyways, yeah, side tangent. But Black Adam probably had more right recent weekly sales than Schindler's Listed when it came out. But over time, and obviously they're going for different things and different audience ranges. Which movie would you say is the more successful? Which so again, it's a not, it's a measure of a popular weekly popularity contest with the New York Times, which well, is just the nature of the list. Well, that's the problem with so using sales numbers mm-hmm. is basically putting this. It's giving over the control to democracy, and ultimately, oh, what a mistake! Democracy is cringe. This such a mistake. I've. Wa- <laughs> This was my video idea, and I walked right into your entire motto. Don't you understand? The the people, the peasants, don't know what's good for them. For some reason, they go, hey, that Prince Harry biography. Yeah, let's make that the best book of however months going by. Instead of Lonesome Dove, or something from Brandon Sanderson, or Dune. Whatever. By Whatever the way, all good the, bo- I'm pretty sure all the ones you named are bestsellers. Yeah. <laughs> Neuromancer. Fine. I'll do big Neuromancer. I think that was too. Ah, damn. Yeah. Broken clock can be right twice a day. That was four times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. Point by the standard. way, since you said you're saying you're teetering my totter right now, I haven't said it in a while. I just wanted to put it out there. You understand that no yeah. one understands your saying. Everyone understands my saying, saying. I made a thing. Yeah. I was like, you know, this you is my I'm identity just... yep. in a phrase. And then you're like, I need one of those. And you came up with something on the spot that you don't understand. I do understand, understand. Teeter my totter. It's when it can mean a couple of things. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a phrase can mean a couple of things. It means nothing. No, no, it does. It, no, it just means... like democracy is cringe can mean a couple of things. No, democracy is cringe means democracy is cringe, but it depends how you say it. Democracy, like you said, it, or like I say it, democracy is cringe. See, it's a different way. It means the same thing. No, it's, it's inflection of tones. It's the cadence. Okay. It is so not. when I say like, you're teetering my totter right now. It means you're getting on my nerves. You're, you know, the seesaw is going up and down. You're teetering my totter. Or I could say, Rich, you teeter my totter, meaning you complete me. That's nonsense. <laughs> That's not how words work. Everyone knows. This is, you're just not If a word end. can mean multiple things, like, if it means the opposite of, like, in one context. Words it can one, mean multiple things. No, 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 not multiple, but. The opposite of things. If yes also means no. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, wait. No does, no does mean both yes and no in some situations. <laughs> Fine. Things can mean that. Okay. Things, uh, wait, but wait, then it's hold nonsense. On. Let me break you down. If, you I said, if, I said, if I said this, if I said, Richard, no, don't do that. Or I said, Richard, no. Don't, we're not going down that road. <laughs> this, is a Bill, no. this is a Bill Burr bit. <laughs> this is a Bill Burr bit. That's a different podcast. That, that, yeah, different context. <laughs> I, I'm going to stop while we're behind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Next one. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> the next piece of controversy. <laughs> oh, man. This, oh. Is, this is the day we get canceled. That's it. That's it, Rich. It's last ra- well, since well, it's our no, last episode, no, let's not, make this good. Here's the thing. They're not going to cancel us. They're going to ship us. They're going <laughs> to see some weird... They're going to be like, oh, Austin God. did say you teeter my totter. You can put me... I'm not anxiously waiting for the fan fiction to come out. I, I'm not looking forward to these comments. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next piece of criticism mm-hmm. for the New York Times. We're talking about the New York Times, but I saw our list, right, still? Will we? There was some Are tension we? there. Yeah, I, I felt like we were... Okay, the next one is 
double don't don't change the stuffed animal don't do, okay <laughs> so the next piece of criticism double counting have you heard of this one where you count something twice <laughs> yeah never heard of that <laughs> Can we stop that episode? I want to go home. I am home, but I want to go home. Home is where the heart is, and your heart ain't here. <laughs> so by including wholesalers and polls along with retail bookstores, books may be double counted is a problem with the list. Now, wholesalers report how much they sell to retailers, and retailers report how much they sell to customers. Thus, there can be an overlap with some reported books being sold twice within a given time frame. In addition, retailers may return books to wholesalers months later if they never sell, thus resulting in a sale being reported that never came to fruition. For example, mass market paperbacks can see as high as 40% return rates to the wholesaler. So the book itself, saying it sold 10,000 copies, it really might mean 6,000 copies. So there, that's a whole other problem. I guess the solution to that is you just don't count distributors. But they do. Oh. They still they well, still do. They include wholesalers in the polls along with retail bookstores. That's what they do right now. Oh, okay. So so there's some type of math. There's yeah. some type of formula in there where they calculate that and go, hey, do these numbers line up? Of they probably yeah. know a right percentage where if they see a dramatic drop, where hey, the wholesalers have X percent higher than the localized booksellers, they know okay, something's fishy. Sales were off, and then they discount it. I believe so. That would probably make sense. That would make like, sense. Hey, do the numbers add up versus numbers not add up? Right, right. Exactly. I imagine there's a way to look at it. And before I go into the next point of controversy, do you have one that you want to lead with that you found? Oh, you, it seems like it seemed like you researched this a little bit. I, I want to see did. if you had one for me. I'm sure it's one of the more common ones that it's probably like the first thing you look up if you look yep. up a New York Times bestseller list controversy. Yep. One of the big ones that pops up is an author, the author of the book Handbook for Mortals, which is a YA book back in 2017, written by Lani Sarem. And her book was removed from the bestseller list. Removed. Like it got onto the list and actively took off by the New York Times for basically fraud purposes. Why? Because the author did exactly what we've been talking about of had their publishing company went around and sold like specifically bought books for libraries mm. did bought bulk orders in bulk sub orders and there were a lot of there's actually a lot of evidence that we can maybe even link down in the description below if you want to check out like this isn't just a claim people went into the numbers of independent uh independent researchers went into seeing where was this book being sold in how many copies where they were going Hey, look, there's not a lot of individual sales of this book. It's almost all bulk orders for these certain companies like across the across the country. Mm. And they pulled up like, hey, what are the impressions? So they looked up how many times it's been Googled. So you can kind of look at uh, so if you look at sales numbers, you can kind of also correlate that to how many times this book has been looked up on the internet. And you can see if there's any kind of spike in Yeah, yeah. It would kind of correlate. correlate yeah, right. This book did not. There's no internet traffic on this okay. book. So purely nobody some, knew this book, but yet it nobody, was selling tens of thousands of copies. That was the that was the thing that uh, set people's alarm bells off. Right. Is, hey, there's no internet traction at all for this book. Mm -hmm. No one there's Reddit forums. There's nothing there. There's nothing in Twitter, Google, nothing. Right. And yet it's selling a bunch of books. That many and that copies. no one is right. And so they went through it and it was removed. This was actually, I, I believe this is the book and the controversy that started the whole dagger pin system that New York Times now has implemented. Was where, this the one? Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe so. Um, because this isn't the only author that's done this. It's not the only there one, are, but I there believe are several, it, yeah. At, after 2017, after this book attempted, they uh, implemented a new system where, yeah, it, technically it's still on there, but they put this on there because... Uh, Larry Sarem, uh, I think even to this day, has denied doing any of these nefarious things or denied that the publisher did anything like this. So I think in a way to kind of appease both people and they don't want to be sued, they put the dagger. Just to put a correction there, I do have one, the case in 1995 that caused the dagger symbol. Oh, okay. It's been happening for a while. This was a case I appreciate where the correction. Yeah, Michael Tracy and Fred Weyersima. 
They spent 200. You know why their books didn't sell? Hard last names. That's why they didn't legit sell because you know you got to have a last name like Sanderson, Tolkien. I I also I I feel the exact same way about presidents. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a good last name, oh no, I you're I remember, not getting my vote. <laughs> I remember listening to like seeing a politician go like, oh, I'm running for president. I was looking at the last name, going like, ain't nobody pronouncing that. No, but no, no one that person ain't winning. <laughs> That's too hard of a name. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. You need like a four-letter last name. Oh, yeah. No, like Jones. Or I'm not going to actually get political and say names, but... <laughs> Smith. Go with generic. I'm even thinking like Obama. Obama's a great easy name to put on a bumper sticker. Oh, Same yeah. thing with Trump. Like just Trump. It's a, That's a bumper sticker right there. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, oh, who is, who is that person uh, that ran in 2016... Weird, um, weird, weird name. I'm trying to remember. Oh, God. What, what party? What party? I think Democratic Party. Uh, there's a couple of them. 2016. Uh, that was Clinton, Sanders, and uh, there were the two front runners, right? I know. I'm uh, trying to think of the, uh, the primary, whatever. No more politics. Uh, too much. We already got too much. Okay. Too deep. But, anyways, <laughs> with, with basically the last names of these two people. It's a hard one to pronounce, all right? I, I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I do, don't do English well. So they did this in 1995, and it's not illegal to do, but it is highly unethical. And that's where they came. the New York Times had this dagger symbol to symbolize, hey, this was a bulk order. We need to flag this. This needs a little okay. asterisk there. But yeah, going on from, what was your thing here? Well, the main thing is it was removed from the New York Times bestseller. They, uh, they tried getting it back and said, they no, they didn't do this, and... Th- her and her publishing team uh, countered that actually the reason why there wasn't a lot of traditional traffic is they went through other means. Or they went to Comic-Con. They went to these convention sales and did a lot of pre-order and a lot of the groundwork there. So they were claiming that there was a lot of grassroots traction for the book, not you know traditional publishing. So oh. they were their claim was hey, New York Times is bullying us because we didn't go through traditional means of advertising. Right. That was their claim. Claims kind of BS. Now, if I was their lawyer, I would say, Your Honor, all of these were sold to Amish people who could not use the internet to look up the book. Your Honor, <laughs> you, you, are, you are discriminated against the community the I sold to. I not... That that's the that's the strat selling it to the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> Sell a book to every single Amish person. I, I do in envy the, the Amish in a lot of ways. Don't you? Oh, I do too. Like I think there's there's something. Of course, I've never lived. I don't know the life, but just something about not having technology is well. Is, the belief that technology was wrong mm-hmm. is totally true. <laughs> it's entirely. You, you true. know what's hilarious? Internet was a mistake. You know what's hilarious? The one community we can bully without getting retribution because they're not watching this. It's <laughs> the one community we're like, now let's, let's not make fun of them. Let's make fun of everybody Here's else. The thing is, we can make fun of them. But we won't. But we won't because I agree with them. I'll make fun of everyone else. I like the Amish. The Amish are great. They're ideal. I don't live up to the correct standard that the Amish set. I'm not brave enough now, to with, live there. I life. know you say that statement. We know basically nothing about them other than the technology thing. Yeah. I'm so on board. <laughs> I'm, I'm so on board, Rich. <laughs> Actually, I, when I'm driving up on uh, New York, Pennsylvania, all sort of, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of Amish communities, and it's always very cute. I always see like kids with with you know wagons and it's not and horses cute. and carriages. It's also just have you seen the Amish yeah. like deadlift a, a barn? Have you seen no. these videos? Of, like the entire community, like picks up the whole barn and walks it somewhere else. Wow! It's not like or I'm like that is not only community strength. Imp- like it's just I can't imagine any other community being able to do that. To be able to get together that amount of people for a singular project and task at hand. There's there is no unity like that in our communities the amish are just built different and better <laughs> i had no idea we'd ever have a segment on the amish this video this is, the amish awesome. are the best <laughs> they're the best people period 
<laughs> the one community. You heard it here first. Hey, any uh, Amish kid that's on their one-year... Uh, like, One-day allowance? No, no, no. They, they go out for a certain set of months. Oh, you do know more than me then. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. When they turn 18, they have like a, a period of time that they leave the community. They mm. have, a, like I think it's like six months to a year uh, where they live out with normal people, normal standard society, and then they oh. get to decide whether they will come back to the Amish community or do they? they stay out with uh, the rest of us heathens. And honestly, it's so your message really is if you're, if you're out here right now, go back. Well, no, the... it's the sign of it not being a cult mm. that they actually allow. It's like, Hey, look, go experience something else. Go see the stuff that we're telling you is not good for you. Go see it. And if you don't like, if you kind of now agree with us, you come on back. Makes sense to me. Like the cult keeps you locked in. The Amish go try it out. See what these dirty heathens are we're doing. So com- we're, we're so, so confident. confident you're gonna come on back because <laughs> they all suck. <laughs> you're gonna come crawling back to us. It's like it's like someone saying some, someone out there having a friend group and being like, "Why don't you go to Austin Richards' house?" It, you'll <laughs> see why. You'll and you'll come you'll come back. right back. <laughs> So, that, oh, that was all coming off the manipulation of of authors with the book. Get, get yeah. on the list, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go on to the next point? What is the next point? The next point is the self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay. Where one, th- this is kind of, we were talking about this a little bit when it came to selling and being on the New York Times bestseller list in the first place and increasing sales. Now, once a book makes it onto the list and it's heavily marketed as a bestseller, purchased by readers who seek out bestsellers, if there's a group of people like that, it's given preferential treatment by retailers. So it might not just be the fact that mm. it might not just be the fact that you don't look for a New York Times bestseller list, right? We we're talking about that. Like we look for something that someone else recommended, that restaurant that's packed, that whatever, whatever the analogy is. But the other thing the, I did say mm-hmm. is the cover that catches my eye. Yeah, I'll buy. Now, here's which... here's the thing, though. The retailer will preferentially put New York Times bestseller in those covers where you can see them because you're not going to buy a book you don't see or haven't heard about. So this is where that self-fulfilling prophecy comes from, where if it has that bestseller list, it will be given the preferential teacher by retailers online and offline and who create these special bestseller categories where you can get these in-store placements and discounts on them specifically because they're bestsellers. So it could create that cycle where, hey, you know why this book sold so much more. Maybe not just because it's a bestseller, but because it's a bestseller, the retailers treat it with preferential treatment. And that leads to it selling more and more and having this cycle. I would I would tend to agree with you. That sounds about more right than it just... Someone sees it on the bestseller list, then like, oh yeah, I gotta pick it up. Right. Probably more what you're saying is retailers treat it differently now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a snowballing effect. And I wanted to, if you don't mind, if I could sit you all cozy here, mm-hmm. and I have a last point here to make, and then you can make whatever stupid point you want to make. But there was this court case that I thought was really interesting. Go okay. ahead, give it to me. There's this court case against the New York Times bestseller list. In 1983, author William Peter Blatty. That's a simple last name. I still couldn't say it. I think it's a me problem. So he sued the New York Times for $6 million, claiming that his book Legion, which was filmed as The Exorcist 3, had not been included in the list due to either negligence or intentional falsehood, saying it should have been included due to very high sales. And the Times countered that the list was not mathematically objective. The Times said it's not a mathematically objective list, but is rather editorial content and thus protected under the Constitution as free speech. So they're saying this is not objective. This is editorial content. So Blady appealed to the Supreme Court, which declined to hear the case. So the lower court ruling, which supported the New York Times saying, yes, it's editorial content and thus not objective factual content. So the Times has every right to exclude the book from the list, essentially encapsulating our whole conversation here that the New York Times can technically do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, basically. I, it's it's a risk because when you have a very editor... So the difference between just doing pure sales numbers is if a book's on the list and people go, yeah, why is that there? It's like, you have evidence. It's, it's on the list. Don't, don't complain to us about it. Mm-hmm. You guys bought it. Right. 
there's a bit of safety in that of their reputation is not at stake for putting it there versus Michelin star restaurant. If a Michelin star puts a uh, Michelin star on, on a restaurant and that restaurant sucks, that is on their reputation and they are taking the hit. Now it's the same thing with the New York times is they're trying to kind of have it both ways of one. It's, Hey, these are just the sales numbers. Don't, don't come crying to us if your book is or isn't on here. But then on the other side, they're saying, hey, it's the editorialized list. This is our thing. We get to put what we want on this list. Right. That's a weird combo of things to have, to try and hide behind the protection of it being an editorialized list, but then also not uh, being upfront and honest about it. That Do you get what I mean? Yeah, it's trying to I play both fields. Yeah. I, I totally get you. You know what? Good summary there. Good little yeah. good little snippet, Rich. Well, thank you, Austin. Did, did you have anything you wanted to add? <laughs> Other than, you know, I think you did a good job today. You you researched quite a bit. You you corrected me on things I didn't know. And uh, I appreciate all the work that you do. Okay, right now you're teetering my totter in that way. You know which way I mean it. No, I don't. <laughs> I could be freaking you out because <laughs> I don't do this, especially on camera. <laughs> exactly. But you know what really teeters my totter? Hmm. The fact that your book, Draft One, is not on my desk right now. Can, can I finish this with a, a high note, maybe a better note? Sure. And the podcast on? You can try. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you some yes or no questions. Okay. Go ahead. Rapid fire. You uh-huh. have to answer instinctually right away. Okay. Got it. Okay. You ready? Uh huh. To the ramble. What's our subscriber count going to be at the end of the year? What's the goal? It's a new year. Ninety-five thousand. That's a great goal. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Next one. It's Democracy Cringe. Of course. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.